series spoke last time of the psychic change. It's the first indispensable change for this yoga. It is indispensable because the psychic has the master key. Whether we want to go deeper through this door into the self or we want to stay in communion with the divine or merge into the absolute or rise to higher planes. This is the little being who has the master key. One can try to force open the doors. There are yogas which do it through the mind, through other processes. One forces opens the doors of the spirit. But the psychic is the sweetest and the most delightful door to enter into the hushed sanctuary. It's also indispensable because without a preliminary psychic purification of nature, it is most dangerous, as Shurabindu would tell us, to enter into those experiences which follow the sadhaka of the integral yoga. And up till this psychic change, <clears throat> one would find many things which seem to be similar or common to many systems of yoga. Standing back from desire, loosening its hold upon the human nature, not identifying with the lower movements of anger, lust, jealousy, loosening the grip of the ego, self, turning towards the divine, meditation, prayer, japa, by whatever means, aspiration, surrender, equanimity, faith, all these things which form to varying degrees elements in other yogic systems as well. In the initial periods, the psychic change comes and goes like the vanishing, waxing and waning of the moon. During those moments, for no apparent reason, the consciousness seems to be touched by a holier influence. We feel at peace and ease with ourselves. The being is full of a subtle inner joy that is not dependent on any outer condition or circumstance. There is a sweetness and a warmth and a glow. All movements spontaneously turn towards the Divine. The thoughts, no less than the heart, the will develops within itself an urge to give itself and to progress forward. Even the body shares the touch of the psychic influence and health, fitness, well-being in the deepest sense of the word begin to cast their influence even on the physical self. Even many habits of the bodies can change under the psychic touch. Certain habits of food, certain habits of sleep, all these can undergo a change just by the psychic influence. But it's here that the yoga begins to enter into a territory which, about which we can truly say that it is the newness of the integral yoga. 
the second stage of the yoga where more and more there is an influx from above shubhendra has used the word spiritual transformation not that it always waits for the psychic change to follow but if there is a sufficient degree of psychic change and one can stay more and more in the psychic consciousness and learn to look at nature from as if from that poise look at the movements of nature and more and more to aspire to reject all that is not in tune with the deepest aspiration then the whole process becomes smoother and easier for the psychic change also brings an unerring light there are many movements which are hidden even things which seem very good we wear not only the mask of evil but if one may use the word but also the mask of goodness and behind many seemingly good movements righteous movements movements which the mind has categorized into black and white one can begin to see as the psychic consciousness casts its influence and its light on that little crooked thing behind what appears straight on the surface one can begin to see that little tremor inside where the motive and the intent it is other than what is being projected on the surface on the surface is something very nice and those who are deceived by appearances humanity lives all of us live in that state we deceive ourselves and we deceive others but as the psychic change emerges it begins to show us all those little dark spots the hideouts of desires the caves in which all the beings of division hide it begins to show up show them up to us and the beauty is that when we discover it we are not disheartened we don't feel disheartened like when the mind when one is still in the nascent psychic stage and then error is found inside us one gets disheartened the vital gets disheartened oh my god i have to work so much still when the psychic shows it it also gives the strength the persistence to work upon it because its will is always towards the divine it has this faith that eventually there will be the divine victory so these are very beautiful things which begin to happen as the psychic change spreads over the being the psychic change does not free us from the ego but it makes the sting of the ego much less it makes it much easier subsequently to surpass it the hold and grip of the ego on human nature begins to diminish with the psychic change it does not completely eliminate the ego self or the ego sense in us that can go only when one experiences the self above which comes later usually later traditional paths one can try for that but here the psychic is where one has to root oneself in subsequently starts an opening above and the influx of a higher consciousness into the system it can come streaming in as a force it can be experienced as a thrill passing from head to toe in different parts of the body is a very physical contact it can be experienced as an influx of peace of wideness of wideness that liberates us from our narrow bounds 
slowly our being begins to enlarge into what Shubhendu has spoken of as the cosmic consciousness. The touch of the higher consciousness and its wideness liberates us from the little narrow mold in which we live. We begin to feel with others' feelings. We begin to know the thoughts of others spontaneously. We begin to will in others and experience an influx of their consciousness. And it's here that the individual yoga begins to enter into its collective dimension. Quite spontaneously, everybody who is doing this yoga, as this higher consciousness liberates us from the littleness that we are, and our being begins to grow wider and wider, begins to interfuse and enter in currents and exchanges the forces of, with others, a process not without its dangers, it begins to share in their problems, their difficulties quite spontaneously and the individual yoga begins to turn into a collective yoga. This can happen even earlier, but Sri cautions us that entry into the cosmic consciousness without the psychic change is fraught with dangers. Even when the higher consciousness descends, if the adha is not ready, then there may be many, many, many difficulties because our mold is very small and narrow and one may be pulverized under the pressure of the higher consciousness, especially if the side of the will descends first. There are two sides of consciousness, awareness and force. If awareness descends, one grows one's being in the knowledge. Usually, uh, it's a safer process. One grows in knowledge, but not in will. But in some people, it is the will that descends, the force that descends, and awareness comes later. So this, these are many things, many variations which begin to take place as one opens, one opens to the higher consciousness. Peace, wideness, purity, knowledge streaming into the system as the reverse of the Vedic sages, reverse of inspiration, revelations, intuitions, they begin to become natural and frequent more and more at one's own command. And the mother says so beautifully, ah, it's a release. All this laboring mind, all the time, reasoning, analyzing, all this begins to be, one begins to be free of it. And the application of this knowledge, usually we think this knowledge is only about spiritual knowledge. But the beauty is this knowledge is as much, if we were to use the human divisions, as much secular as it is spiritual. This division is a creation of the mind. All things are in nature and all things are in God. Where is it that the spirit is not there? When someone asks the mother this question, Mother, um, my feeling is that the teachers in the center of education should teach only their subjects. As to the spiritual things, we should leave it to you. So the mother says, My child, once again this same artificial division between spiritual and material. This becomes so evident when the higher consciousness begins to descend. One can see that the spirit can inform us even about the most material events, things which are very mundane, which one may wonder that what has the spirit got to do with it. 
even about most material objects about one may literally say running your scooter the spirit can come and inform us about how things can work what is happening what can be done one can begin to communicate feel a kind of communication with the most material objects not just with uh, the higher gods behind the whole creation one begins to feel a presence a secret presence something that is secret and hidden by the works that begins to unfold itself in countless countless ways in one of the experiences describes the senses are quickened as if by a different kind of informing consciousness right now we are informed by mental consciousness which divides obscures dulls everything and then to know anything we have to go through a very difficult process of an indirect contact as this higher consciousness liberates our imprisoned consciousness we can know about things material and mundane no less than the supra physical and the spiritual by kind of increasing direct contact so it becomes a different law a different consciousness begins to operate in the mind it also liberates the heart from its littleness and many so called laws and norms of the heart in which we are stuck where we feel that well we should love this and we should not we should hate this all this spontaneously begins to fall there is a beautiful line in savitri one loves what common hearts repel and dread so even that one begins to see all discloses the unknown beloved all these experiences flowing experiences of love of delight of ananda of sweetness but also the other side of strength and force a strength that shatters every limits a strength which can be compared to a kind of divine violence that's the word shivendra uses which does not tolerate falsehood but not in the intolerant sense of the mind's rigidity the mind holds up an artificial standard and all that would not conform to it it wants to destroy it but the psychic guidance and the higher guidance is very subtle that's why when we see shurbindo in the mother's letters he would say one thing to one person and sometimes a very very different thing to another there are people to whom he said no don't go out of the ashram there are others who said you must do yoga outside there are no such fixed rules because the higher consciousness sees the divine possibility and what is best for each one and that to at a given point of time what is good at one point of time may not be good at another point of time but the mind tries to reduce it into a system a fixed system and a formula and that is how religions are born and the next step is that they turn into rituals not even religion but the higher consciousness liberates us from all this narrowness when we love god we love him not only in the prayer hall and the mosque or the church or the temple but we love him in object seemingly inconspicuous in the slightest event there is a very beautiful prayer of the mother where she says the least grain of sand is an occasion for thy worship so the whole earth begins to turn into a great temple ground or a workplace of the divine these changes begins to take place often without one's noticing it one doesn't even know that one is changing into a new mold much later when one turns back and looks at oneself one doesn't look back with admiration very often 
when one has not progressed, one looks back in admiration. If one looks back at oneself and looks back in great admiration, then one can be sure that one has remained the same foolish human being that one ever was born. But when we look back, we wonder how stupid we were, how small, how narrow, how little. And then when one looks at the path, one wonders that how the divine grace is really liberated. All that we felt as our effort seems so small, so small in comparison with that grace and then one can see that this distance was just not possible but for the grace which was supporting us at each step. Same with the vital will, spontaneously, all its narrowness, smallness, even its tendency to fatigue easily, all this begins to change. A greater and greater oceanic energy begins to flow into the system and it takes charge of breath, speech, act, the physical self, gives us all the energy and the strength that is necessary for, not only for yoga, for the inner life, but also for the outer life. So this is a new change which begins to start. And if the mold is not prepared, herein comes the second part of the yoga, it can break. The mother says in one of her early writings, that my child, why is surrender necessary? Very often people say, no, why is surrender? It's not fair. The divine wants us to surrender. It's such a precious individuality. He wants me to give it up. So mother says, well, it's your choice. Don't give it up. But what would happen if a small drop stood in front of the ocean? We think divine is just one step a little better than us. If a small drop that we are stood in front of the ocean and refused to surrender, so she gives the analogy that imagine a small mind and it's in front of the universal mind and it keeps on doubting and arguing and arguing. It is divine compassion. Shurabindu is really so full of infinite compassion that he is replying and replying and replying. At one place, one sadhak asked the mother, very touch of humor also, Mother, what did you feel after reading my report? So mother replies, of course this reply she would give to those who really love her to the utmost. The person who writes this has written about his relationship with the mother and his life. My world, the mother. So he is writing, what do you feel about my report? Mother says, I can see that your physical mind is most stupid and impertinent. Uh, the person has another question to ask. Mother, is it now it has become so or has it always been like this? <laughs> and the mother replies, no, it has always been like this. <laughs> what a beautiful exchange and we don't realize, you know, we live in a small ego. I can analyze, I can understand, I can doubt and in front of that vastness, our mind will be pulverized to pieces. But it was an infinite compassion that we were holding back. Holding back a lot, I often feel, people say, why didn't they reveal themselves? Revealing is very easy. Can we take it? Holding back is so difficult. For the divine to hide himself in cloaks of obscurity, so that we don't faint under the pressure, is far more difficult. And they do that difficult thing, because otherwise, where is human consciousness ready to bear that great vision? That grandness is described in the Gita speaks of it when Arjuna, the warrior, sees that grand vision. 
he is shaken to the core he says i am full of fear imagine if something much grander revealed itself where is human consciousness ready so the mind the heart have to learn the law of surrender that's why shobindu insists that surrender is the start of this yoga surrender is the path to this yoga and surrender is the end of this yoga one starts with a central surrender that now here am i a little baby a little bundle of defects all kinds of things good and bad what i call good and what i call bad and i offer it to you she says it starts with giving up of one's individual responsibility to the divine and it's what a release again this is not mean no effort it means it's a central surrender that now i am yours you take me and this surrender is tested at every point we say that yes now i am yours the next minute something happens and we say no 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 what is this <laughs> this cannot be well the divine may just choose to give us something different from what we have wished and hoped so this is the first step we have to do our bit we have to do whatever with little human mind we do but constantly referring back to him in a spirit of surrender then surrender is the path as one grows into this new and new consciousness as one grows in one's being all that has to be surrender otherwise there is a big risk that at any point of time as this influx of power and knowledge raises the instruments to a par and a pitch which we were not initially capable of we may well believe it's me and my effort i am a great instrument of god why god is gone now it is me who is carrying on the yoga there are people who develop this kind of megalomania i remember one meeting long long back lot of people had come me about me is 2025 uh, in a round table conference so one of the person very impatient uh, he said i don't understand these uh, people you know these shurabindu devotees they are still talking of shurabindu and the mother now we have to carry the work forward so <laughs> so these kind of all kinds of thoughts can come to us where we believe now they are gone now it is me who has to do it and well touch of higher consciousness does give us many things and one may well start living in a kind of a self created delusion and this can be there can be no greater disaster shobindu says even up till the last point of transformation when we read the mother he says till the irrevocable transformation one has to be vigilant one has to be conscious one has to surrender one has to know that all that i am is nothing compared to what one can become by the touch of grace and all that i am today is simply an act of grace and constantly to offer it back to the divine from whom it has come and to keep offering him so that the instrument keeps getting upgraded we want the entire windows to change like you know they put a new cd and everything changes now we know that if you are very impatient it doesn't work for few hours you have to leave it and you know that upgraded versions are going to come otherwise one may well believe this is the best one so this one is to get rid of this egoism of the instrumentality because this happens in this yoga as new things develop so this constant need of surrender this constant need of aspiration for something still purer still higher still better still more luminous still clearer 
something which is without any obscurity and to what extent it can go in one of the aphorisms Sri Aurobindo writes these aphorisms are somewhere between the period from 1912 to onwards when Sri Aurobindo already is writing in one of his letters that for 18 hours a day I can dwell in the Parabrahman at that point of time he has already experienced Nirvana he has experienced the cosmic divine in everything that Sri Aurobindo writes in one of the aphorisms when something happened I knew that some touch of jealousy can still hide in a corner if that is the kind of perfection that the Lord is showing us where are we? we are full of it not even some point so this is why there is so much need of growing sincerity in fact mother would say that do not touch yoga if you are not sincere and if you are not willing to become increasingly sincere central sincerity is only the first step but this sincerity must spread as one grows into this yoga and all this begins to happen as the higher consciousness descends so there comes the second part of the yoga where simultaneously with the discovery of the divine one has to work upon the nature and there are four aspects of nature which one has to really work upon with thoroughness and there are many other aspects but Shurabindo specifically speaks of the intelligence which is cabined in the mind in human beings into a very narrow mold of the physical mind and then the vital mind which is a mind which is full of desires to which our mind lends all kinds of explanation, excuses and justifications. The third is the heart and the fourth is the body. So these are the four levels at which the working has to be very very thorough. There is that beautiful line in Savitri where we, when Ashupati invokes the higher consciousness for earth, the voice tells him that you want, yes I know my fire and sweetness are the cause of life but too immense my danger and my charm. Awake not the immeasurable descent. Man is too weak to bear the infinite's weight. Truth born too soon might break the imperfect earth. And thereby we see the mother actually translating it in actual practice. Not only within the ashram, but everywhere she has given this fourfold tapasya the fourfold austerity precisely to work on these parts so that these parts when the higher consciousness descends is ready to receive that greater consciousness without breaking down she speaks of the tapasya of knowledge the tapasya of love the tapasya of power and the tapasya of beauty basically referring to these four parts and very quickly they are very very simple very simple to to, to read but very difficult to practice. Tapasya of mind, she says, how many useless words. We are all the time externalized. We are all the time gossiping. Gossiping, gossiping. At one place she says, oh, the spirit of gossip has taken this place. And that one place she says something very, very powerful. It's a very, one of the shortest conversations of mother. On a whole day, just about few lines where she says when human beings use their tongue, something to this effect, when they use their tongue to project vibrations which are full of ill will and malice and especially when these words are clothed in most debasing language, obviously she is referring to abusiveness, I 
think the word is also used abusive I don't remember exactly she says then it's like committing spiritual suicide so when people do that it's like committing spiritual suicide so she was teaching us even she says that one should always remember that these words have a power to realize themselves some simple practices one wonder one often asks what is the actual practice of integral yoga this is one simple practice to speak only when necessary and to speak only as many words as are necessary and then the mother out of her infinite compassion tells us try this for half an hour my child <laughs> try this for half an hour in fact she says it is very easy not to speak that is one kind that's not really the this yoga it's very easy to take a vow and by pressure of will to suppress all speech then we suppress also the power of manifestation she says speak only when necessary and only that much which is necessary don't speak under the impulsion of the vital speak under the impulsion of the psychic all these things she has said and there are letters of shirobindo the mind must develop the capacity to go within to concentrate to fall silent to learn to synthesize by going about all these things makes the mind wide and supple and plastic to receive the greater light but when we don't work upon the nature and we feel that just somehow pull the force pull the force and the aadhar is not ready and above all when we keep on harboring doubts after doubts after doubts doubts are all right shubhendra has said you know one quotes shubhendra that shubhendra said doubts are as necessary yes doubts are necessary when it comes to when one is ascending through the various stages of yoga one should not rest at false finalities at in half certitudes but nowhere shubhendra says that you must keep doubting the word of the master and the word of the guru and the divine that is dangerous but to doubt yes one should doubt when there are experiences one should not rest at half certitudes and believe that well i have arrived it's very dangerous so when mind has to open to a wideness similarly the heart she gives the tapasya of the heart and there she speaks of how step by step human beings learn to love the first stage is when we love only ourselves and everything is in reference to ourselves if somebody loves us he is the best person on earth if somebody has said a harsh word to us he or she is the worst person immediately all our judgments are based on our reference point she says the next step is we love but we expect a return so initially we love we want a return so after a time we start you know looking at the watch is the return coming 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 no only criticism is coming so we also start giving criticism isn't it the story of a human life too often told his life a story too common to be told this is line in savitri so very true return for love then this is the third step of love is when we don't expect a return but we expect an acknowledgement that one must at least tell us that look yes you are so kind i am so grateful to you mother says don't expect this from human nature when somebody wrote to shirobindo that i did so much for him and yet this is how he responded to me shubhendra says don't you know about human nature that when uh, this is a story of a man whom somebody was very kind 
and he replied back why is he so good to me why is he speaking kind words i have not done any uh, goodness towards him i mean it's human nature is so full of that and to expect people to acknowledge well that should also go then the last step is when we love because it's our nature to love we don't care for acknowledgement we don't care for return when we have crossed this limit then she says then we are ready to love the divine otherwise we only talk of i love mother and i love the divine we don't even know how to love a human being what to talk of divine when somebody asked mother mother what should we do when love comes to us in the form of a human being she says well my child go through the experience so what is the experience she says learn to go behind appearances learn to go behind appearances when the other person is angry bitter go behind appearances when the other person is good compassionate go behind appearances and see who is loving through that learn to love truly learn to love perfectly then you can become ready through that both bitterness will teach us sweetness will teach us and eventually all bitterness is in uh, you know it's a limitation of response that's all it's a smallness of being so this is the tapasya of love and then she says at the end of it where do we stand we have a universal love and good feel for all but for all our needs of the heart we turn towards the divine we don't look at a human being to fulfill and satisfy those needs oh i am so sad everybody left me nobody loves me all these thoughts are totally incompatible with the spirit of yoga one turns to the divine and this is a beautiful prayer of the mother suddenly before the my pride fell and i wept the sweetest tears of my life and then she says o soul and only confidant thou who knowest us beforehand before we can speak anything to thee o soul and only friend it's folly to seek elsewhere than in thee one who can support who can love who can give who can understand for it is thou who hast made us the way we are with the divine there's the beauty we don't have to tell him that you don't have to put a good picture in front of human beings we have to put a good picture otherwise after a while the love is always very precarious so you know it it tends to begin changing but with the divine he knows us he has made us the way we are so this is the tapasya of love and the more our heart goes through these experiences sometimes we do the tapasya at other times tapasya is done for us we are forced to go through the experiences necessary for this tapasya in fact tapasya normally one says in shrivindu yoga what is the austerity so everybody wants to know there must be some prescriptions and prescriptions that one should wear a particular dress one should live in this way that way and when one sees the devotees one wonders what kind of people they are they are wearing normal dress they are moving around with normal people like normal human beings where is the sadhana here is the sadhana this is the tapasya it is not the tapasya of self mortification but the tapasya of self purification and through self purification the tapasya of self dedication and self referring to the eternal so this is the tapasya of the heart then she speaks of the tapasya of power and there she says how we must learn to draw energy not from these inferior sources which is simply a habit of our body and of a nervous vital being in fact she tells us there are three sources of energy one is from food 
So this is one source we are all habituated to. And the body has learned over millenniums, that is the habit, that we must eat so much to be energetic. And if I have not eaten, even when actually we are not feeling, you know, fatigued, we begin to feel that, oh, it's, you know, I have not eaten and I am I'm going to as if, you know, something is going to happen to me. But this is just a habit. One can learn to draw energy from the pranic energy all around. But she says, even that is a mixed thing. Because it is not pure, it is a mixture, it is full of ignorance. This one can do by simply widening. And one can do, draw energy from any source. Simply sometimes an act of widening. Simply physically one can draw energy into the system. Lying down and imagining something wide one can draw energy. Holding a flower one can draw energy. Mother gives such beautiful examples. That how Madame Theon, with whom she, from whom she learned occultism. She would, when she is... Um, one of the incidents where she kept an apple or one of the flower, grapefruit, onto her navel and after a while she was energetic again and that fruit had totally dried up and shriveled. So actually one can draw energy through every pore and every sense. And it's just a question of learning to adjust and attune. Over a period of our evolutionary journey we have learned to draw energy only from matter. But we can draw directly. But then she says the highest source of energy is the spiritual energy. And by aspiration, by communion with the divine, we can draw that energy into our system. And there she cautions us, especially for those who are into this yoga. There are certain things which are given as kind of proscriptions for this yoga. And one wonders why. So she says one of the most unfortunate form of energy that human beings draw is through a process of vital interchange. We get very energy. See a person who is very dull and you know listless, put him in the middle of a crowd where a lot of gossip is going on. You know, first five minutes he will be dull and listless. Another ten minutes he will be all attentive. After twenty minutes he will be speaking. After forty-five minutes he is copious. So this is an energy we draw from the, unfortunately from our fellow human beings. And this can sometimes, this is usually very unfortunate and dangerous, especially when one mixes with all kinds of people. So that is why this kind of for the safety of the path, so that we can grow in a beautiful way, it's very important not to mix with anyone and everyone in the name of universality and that is foolishness. Universality is an inner sense. It is within that we have to universalize. It does not mean that we will mix and meet anyone and everyone because inevitably a vital interchange will follow and it will lead to uh, always it goes from the greater to the lesser so all that we have accumulated inside by the divine grace one can lose sometimes in a single night it just passes on to others and they it's good if it helps but unfortunately most people don't value it even within us because the instruments are not ready when the higher consciousness descends it changes automatically into its lower forms. After all, lower nature comes from the higher nature. So when the higher consciousness descends, suddenly one finds, partly because of the unearthing of the movements in the subconscious, partly because the instruments are not ready, that the same consciousness undergoes a degradation and a change. So force turns into anger. One sees violent anger rising inside. And one wonders what end of yoga is this? Sweetness changing into other degrading movements in the lower being. So that's why it's very important to simultaneously work upon the system 
But if the system is not ready, there would be a breakdown, even psychological breakdown, physical breakdown, illnesses can come up. There is that famous example of Nishikanto, the great poet whose centenary, uh, I think just few days back, uh, and he used to see, poems used to descend in front of him. And Shirdindra has uh, said he has such a clarity of vision into the higher worlds. And when he came to Shirdindra from uh, Rabindranath Tagore's Shantiniketan, so Shirdindra told him that, look, if you stay there, you will become a world famous poet. If you come here, within a few years, you, will, you are going to suffer from every kind of illness that is possible. So he had something very beautiful to say. He says, why should I fear? I have come at Mahakali's door. What does it matter? Now, he came, Shubhna said, all right. Sure enough, within two years, he became a laboratory of illnesses. Now, this is very interesting because one believes that one has come to yoga, everything will be very smooth. Where is our being ready to bear it? And he used to often make a fun of it. When somebody would complain that, oh, I have a pain in the knee, then he would say, look, this man is complaining of pain in the knee. I have every possible itis inside me, gastritis, arthritis, this, diabetes, hypertension, everything possible. Actually, he was a laboratory of illnesses. Every few weeks, he would rush to the doctor, he would be admitted and would be declared as if, but just a few more days and he would come back. And uh, despite diabetes and everything, he used to do a lot of excesses on his body. He didn't have that kind of self-control with regard to food. And he would make rasgullas and there were very humorous stories about him despite his diabetes. And when groundnuts were distributed in the playground, he would have pockets inside his uh, sleeve to put more. And everybody was told that you tell how much you will take, full, half or few. So he would tell others, you take full even if you don't want to eat, pass it on to me. And there is one very funny story where he stood behind somebody putting both his hands on the two sides because this man didn't want. And mother was distributing, suddenly she stopped and gave him one single groundnut on his hand. Very, very interesting stories. And, you know, when someone would complain, mother would call him, Nishikanto, is it true? You carried rasgullas to the lake and you were eating all night these rasgullas and writing poetry? Yes, mother. So, aren't you scared? Mother, I am Mahakali's child. Should I be scared? This is one attitude, so go. And the most interesting story is, you know, this is a true story recounted to me by somebody who was present, that he was, again, one of those moments when he was told, he couldn't speak, he couldn't move his limbs, that it's just a question of maybe hours or days. So, Nishikanto, you know, somehow expressed his wish to be taken into the ashram courtyard. Mother was not coming out those days. And he was taken to the ashram courtyard and mother came down and stood by his side. He was on the stretcher. And somehow a great strength came inside him. He held mother's feet with both his hands, put it over his chest and said in Bengali, keep it here. And mother stood like that for a long time. And later on she remarked, he is very intelligent. He went on to live for another 12 to 14 years. So this is one way, you know, his body, you know, it doesn't bear again by grace. So this, this story is about how our body on one side is unable to bear that descent, on the other side grace makes us capable of bearing it, if we can have the right attitude. But if we are afraid, if doubts begin to enter, oh my God, I came for yoga and I have broken my hip, 
Oh my God, I came for yoga and I have developed diabetes. Oh my God, I have developed blood pressure. There is better to be, you know, in a place where you have good hospitals and you are insured and all this. <laughs> Here there is only divine insurance. So, but if one can equally match it with faith, that's why one thing Shubhendra says is very central. When this higher consciousness begins to descend, it's very important to have Kalyan Shraddha. That one should always have this faith that whatever happens, whatever the appearances, there is a divine will for good which is working behind the appearances. And if this faith is there, the process becomes smoother and easier. There are other things also he, he says that especially there is a difficulty in harmonizing two aspects of the divine, sweetness or samyata and force, strength or rodra. So in some people, first sight develops. And as this develops, the other goes down. So there is a tendency to become lax. Whereas in some other, the force develops. And there is a tendency to become more and more aggressive. And the sweetness goes down. These are things which happen and we don't understand. Sometimes we meet people and say, this person is doing yoga for 20 years. And look at him, how rough he can be. It's not his fault. His computer is being upgraded. It cannot bear the load of the higher consciousness. We should say that. Because it brings out many hidden things inside. And if one is not willing to surrender and open to grace, these things can happen. So this is the process of the spiritualization which may well spread over maybe a couple of lifetimes, who knows. But till that has happened, till the being has become really wide to enter into the cosmic consciousness, till our being has been thoroughly pounded both by the higher consciousness and grounded in the psychic. To talk about supramental is simply an idle talk. And that is why we see the immense importance the mother gave to physical education. One wonders that in an ashram there is not a place called meditation hall. Because the place of work is supposed to be a meditation hall. But there is a full-fledged playground with swimming pool, Olympic size, with every possible instrument for gymnastics. I was amazed being in the services, I have not seen such equipments which I have seen here. And what importance he gave to the physical education because she knew, she said, her consciousness will come. The new consciousness is there, the force is here, but are you ready to bear it? So even at the most physical level, if we don't develop nerves of steel, then the system may well suffer a breakdown. So it's so much importance he gave for this reason. And people ask, why, why in an ashram, so-called ashram, there are sports facilities being provided? And to top it all, women are going for sports and scandalizing everybody wearing knickers, half pants. How can this be in an Indian ashram? And the mother and Shurabindo have letters you know, explaining that why this is necessary, even indispensable. She came out and gave so much importance. She put her consciousness into every bit in this area. So this is the whole process that our mind, vital, heart, and the body undergoes a progressive change. We can close with a little bit of one is where Shubhendra speaks of this risk and what we can do to minimize it as the higher consciousness descends and there is an increasing spiritualization. The control of the body and life by the mind and its thought and will is the first step towards this change. Very often people think that 
it doesn't matter mind is of no importance because super mind is come and earlier also we read why it is so important to govern one's life with reason before one can become supra rational otherwise one runs the risk of becoming infra rational like a little animal and a puppet of every kind of force imagine when small forces move us and we cannot hold ourselves little desires when we begin to widen into the cosmic consciousness and forces begin to move us of which we have no idea and if we have not learned to use the enlightened parts of our buddhi we can be easily misled into many many dangerous paths so he says this is the first step the control of the body and life by the mind and its thought all yoga implies the carrying of that control to a very high pitch if one for some reason doesn't have food one should be not begin to fret and fume if one is moved by impulse of desire one should learn how to stand back and not rush under it that i am having this divine suggestion since this is happening it must be the divine will one has to learn to stand back and use one's buddhi so but afterwards the mind must itself give place to the spirit to the spiritual force the super mind and the supramental force and finally the body must develop a perfect power to hold whatever force is brought into it by the spirit and to contain its action without spilling and wasting it or itself getting cracked real dangers of the new world <laughs> so it must be capable of being filled and powerfully used by whatever intensity of spiritual or higher mind or life force without any part of the mechanical instrument being agitated upset broken or damaged by the inrush or pressure we shouldn't say lord you didn't warn us so he's telling us what may happen as the brain vital health or moral nature are often injured in those who unwisely attempt yoga practice without preparation or by undue means or rashly invite a power they are intellectually vitally morally unfit to bear so that's why shobindo cautions us and repeatedly that don't it's not like i am going to pull the supramental force these are all nonsensical ideas the mother at one point says mostly thankfully the supermind doesn't come they pull a vital force and they dance to the tune of that vital force and they think their kundalini is awakened she has used this in reference to the kundalini and they believe that they have become supramental life but this is a big big uh, illusion thankfully it doesn't come and then she says if it comes my child you will break down where is the strength to bear so first things first purification of nature without purification to talk about the supramental influx which will break all boundaries of our social moral ethical barriers but substitute it with something higher now if we are not ready then we may become something much worse and inferior so that is why it's a long path one should be armed with patience it's a very delightful journey and thus field it must have the capacity to work normally automatically rightly according to the will of that spiritual or other now unusual agent without distorting diminishing 
or mistranslating its intention and stress and uses the word dharana shakti the capacity to hold the higher consciousness otherwise the moment it enters if a being is not ready it gets spilled into wrong channels even the little consciousness given to us by nature gets spilled into wrong channels and we may see uh, what i mean it's a real real adventure that's why surrender that's why constant invocation to grace and the preparation and a long stage if necessary of purification are so important and in that purification the most fundamental and the safest is the psychic change and finally what is spiritualization the second is a free inflow of all kinds of spiritual experience experience of the self all this will automatically come once the process opens up the doors are open then one doesn't have to work separately for self realization automatically one is taken into those states the experience of the ishwara and the divine shakti experience of cosmic consciousness a direct touch with cosmic forces and with the occult movements of universal nature a psychic sympathy and unity and inner communication and interchanges of all kinds with other beings and with nature illuminations of the mind by knowledge illuminations of the heart by love and devotion and spiritual joy and ecstasy illuminations of the sense and the body by higher experience even sometimes new faculties of senses can open one can smell fragrances which are not around one can hear like we heard that beautiful chime spontaneously higher harmonies of a purified the truth and largeness of a purified mind and heart and soul the certitudes of the divine light and guidance the joy and power of the divine force working in the will and the conduct spiritualization which is the second stage of this yoga the spiritual transformation before the supramental spiritualization means the descent of the higher peace force light knowledge purity ananda etc which belong to any of the higher planes from higher mind to over mind for in any of these the self can be realized it brings about a subjective transformation the instrumental nature is only so far transformed that it becomes an instrument for the cosmic divine to get some work done but the self within remains calm and free and united with the divine but this is an incomplete individual transformation the full transformation of the instrumental nature can only come when the supramental change takes place so this is the second step the second great step the spiritual transformation and the hazards of this journey and the safety of the path two safeties mother has said sincerity and humility and of course surrender so we'll talk about this something about the supramental change in the next one which is the last there is anything mm-hmm. yes please
Of course, uh, I didn't have a statistical thing, but I'm sure many people uh, do experience, and not only in ashram, all over the world. I am aware because now yoga is not confined to the ashram. Um, it may be a little more intense near the place of central influence, no doubt. But uh, I have met people who do experience psychic illuminations, who do experience descent of higher consciousness. Uh, it's more common than what uh, many people believe it to be. But yes, if one speaks of the supramental transformation, I would say perhaps nobody. But that's a distant change. She spoke of it as taking time. But descent of higher consciousness, the psychic change, the stepping forward of the psyche, the psychic moments, if one may say so, these are fairly common. I mean, I don't know the numbers. Even experiences of the self, communication with cosmic forces, becoming aware of the movements behind, or let me put it this way, the occult impulse behind life, all these are inspirations, intuitions, revelations. And they are going to grow. I think many children nowadays are coming up with already a new mode of self. I am aware of certain children who have used a language which only one can use under the touch of the higher consciousness. They are kind of, they embody it. Even some of their dreams, uh, some of these children in the school have narrated to me some of their dreams. And one can see very clearly that they are symbolic dreams of higher planes. So they don't know about it. So it's operating unknown to human beings and uh, many times because, you know, one lives in it, one takes it as very natural. So many of them don't even know that it's something higher, <laughs> thankfully, you know, so that they don't develop this feeling of superiority, which is obviously totally inconsistent with the higher change. Yes, sir, please. Use of? Use of tracing the place events to note things that we would like to focus on, for example. Use of present day events? Days events, okay. Yes, yes, one can use everything, definitely. Uh, you mean in personal life, not in the collective life of the race? Personal life. Is definitely useful, but should not be very preoccupied with that. Uh, if one looks back, uh, what happened during the day, and uh, one can sometimes uh, get you know certain hints uh, about where one was unconscious. I would not use the word right or wrong, but where one was unconscious, and it can be a little help to offer it to the divine and pray for a greater light, to pray for more consciousness. But it shouldn't become an obsession. Sometimes adverse forces take hold of us and keep pointing to us our so-called mistakes. So that is risky. So while it is okay to once in a while look back, but the general stress of consciousness should be for forward looking and there is a reason for it. When we are not very illumined in our consciousness as is our natural state, you know, we look at events and understand it in one way. Usually we misunderstand, almost always, its significance, its purpose, but later on as illumination grows, the same thing assumes a very different meaning and purpose. 
so it's much simpler to offer it to the divine and aspire for that may i lead my life more consciously in what is going to come it's good to look forward more than look back backward but it can be used it's good to sometime but what one should avoid is to be satisfied that's very dangerous that i had a beautiful experience today that is dangerous definitely that should be immediately offered to the divine and best is let it go back yes I'm afraid I couldn't hear. What is the intent? Ah. How the psyche is different from the mind? Intellect. Okay. Mind is a general term, and uh, mind has a way of working. Mind always proceeds from surface, and it tries to analyze the surface contents and the data fed to it, largely by the senses. and then it tries to approach some kind of a knowledge and whatever little it approaches it can never be certain of that so it tends to turn it into a fixed system this is how the mind works you know it's the entire mind operates and constructs a system which can be rightly called as a science of appearances and it uh, is based on things we touch smell hear etc etc so it's dependent on the senses to feed in and then it analyzes it based on certain frames of references past experience memory judgment all things it calls sometimes even imaginations those who have a creative imagination invariably bring new elements but otherwise usually it balances and then reaches by a kind of a probability or a possibility this is what is possible and codifies it this is the way the mind operates seldom unless the mind is open to a greater light it seldom takes interest in divine and things of a higher order it may but usually only to turn it into a system it's more for the sake of uh, analyzing for analyzing sake as they say but this curiosity doesn't go very deep and far but the psychic is a very different thing altogether psychic is the secret soul inside and its one touch gives us the unchanging certitude of the divine presence psychic operates by faith whereas the mind operates by doubt psychic has the certitude of the divine mind is having never any certitude about anything even the highest knowledge which arises by analysis that god exists the next minute through another set of logic the mind can say well god doesn't exist and logically both would be true because the mind cannot arrive it doesn't have the experience but psychic has the experience besides the mind usually operates in a certain sphere i mean unless in human beings of course the heart and vital and body are also supposed to come to an extent under the mind but usually they are not whereas the psychic brings not only the right inspiration and the right vision and the right knowledge but it also right knowledge in sense the essential knowledge not the detailed knowledge the psychic sense can give a right knowledge in the right indication but also it brings the right emotion and the right feeling it also brings a right will in the system now this right is in terms of the nature turning towards the light and the right so psychic brings that touch even if the whole world says and the mind says there is no divine let's take a common example you know there are people like i i'll give you a real life example i know of a person who was very intellectual and he um, 
I worked I worked with him. He was he retired from very big company, and you know he used to come to Shurvindu Center, one of the centers for work offering. And uh, he would come. He used to think I am a social service person. Okay, instead of doing service elsewhere, I am doing here. And he would often half mockingly tell us, ah, "It's okay. She is a great organizer, and she was very capable. But I don't understand why you people say she is the divine." Now, actually, there is no mental way you can say she is the divine. Even if you quote a number of experiences of a super normal order, still they would be, you know, always. So we would, you know, we would inwardly, equally, you know, smile at him, you know, the way he would mock at us. So when Shirvindu's relics came to this place, now when relics come in some places, everybody has a chance to hold it and take around. So his son also came and he had. He was started to shiver to the core. After a few moments, when he passed through the relics, he burst into tears. And um, I saw all this. So after a while, he was still, you know, kind of sobbing. And I asked him. Uh, he was a Bengali gentleman. I asked Dada Ki, "What happened to you?" He said, "I can't explain." Now, after that, a change came into him, which was observable objectively, if one has to use intellectual terms. Not only did he recognize the divinity of the mother unquestioningly, but he started reading Savitri till twelve o'clock night. He would read. He started enjoying it, and so much so that earlier he was, "I am coming here to do social service." Then he realized that I am coming here to change. And during his last moments, he had such a beautiful experience. I mean, this man turned to Mother Shubhendu around late sixties, and this experience was in his early seventies. Within six, seven years, he died. Now you see how the journey can change. And in his last moments, when people were putting, he said, "Take out all these drips. I see them. Mother and children, they have come to take me. Why you want to put all this?" And he left his body within half an hour in this state. Now this is the change that the psyche can bring into a nature. No, no, no. We, I think, the last uh, seven, eight talks were basically focused on how to travel to the psyche and bring the change. Yes, uh, but uh, okay, there is the other side of it that there is a grace. But we can do something from our side, and here the rule is very simple. So long as we are using human effort in any sphere of our life, we should use human effort even for sadhana, for inner life also. There is a point which probably in the last talk it will come. I don't know. I mean, because it's only when we have reached a point where more and more it is the higher consciousness and the inner divine coming forward and taking charge of a life that one can with safety say that now you know I have to do nothing and the divine will do all things. But otherwise, one has to put in personal effort. Though one should know that this personal effort is nothing compared to what the grace gives. And the analogy can be that when a seed has to become into a tree, what is the effort of the farmer? Farmer tills the soil, so we have to till the soil of a nature to prepare it. The farmer pours water from time to time, so the water of reading, you know, light, reading Mother and Shivendra's works, the water of uh, divine love, love for the divine in our case, bhakti, the water of service to the divine, we must pour from time to time. We must expose it to the sun, the soil. You know, the seed is getting ready inside. So we must expose our being and nature.
to the greater light either through meditation concentration through various processes but see all these efforts of the farmer are only preparatory movements the seed comes out of its own no farmer can lay a claim that i am the one who made the seed become a tree seed has an inherent power to become a tree and nature does it so there is the side of grace now even if we don't work on nature sometimes you throw seed in the wild and they come up it's possible so it's possible that sometimes one has seemingly done nothing but seeds have grown well one can say past life preparation one always can say that or it is grace of a kind which is incalculable it can happen there are some people to whom mother had said this person is given unconditional protection now if you see that person from the outside one can never understand why but mother had said he has been given unconditional protection sometimes she has revealed because in one of the case where somebody was very close to mother and he was given a very very special place it is said that this person was in his previous life the priest the incognito priest who threw a cross when mother was in a incarnation at john of arc when she asked for a cross nobody had the courage to do it he made a cross out of hay and threw it if i am not mistaken it is amrita da then there is another story of uh, well dilip kumar roy where he shobindo addressed to him as uh, one whom i cherish as a son and a friend dilip kumar roy was full of doubts full of doubts now why this special grace was on him we don't know but in his past he was hector now what transaction has taken place because it's not a journey of one life you see we see one life story mother said my child we have been together in many lives these things we can say because they are already there in published places so we can speak about it but there are many about whom we don't know so it's a journey of many life and many lifetimes and um, so it may appear that this seed was thrown in the wild this man did no effort and something happened well he has done his homework and <laughs> now in the next life things just blossom so it happens that one life sometimes is only for preparation and the another for fruition and fulfillment and it's quite common in sat yoga yes please absolutely challenging situation i would definitely to begin with walk up and say that look i mean i would definitely to begin with walk up and say tell the person no tell the person look i mean you should do this this is not consistent with but beyond it well one cannot do anything so definitely it must be communicated for sure but communicated with all the goodwill and everything knowing fully well that human beings as we all are you know we all have our own areas of darkness and ignorance so this is another person but if it is a frequent thing if it is something far more you know like again there are types and types of parties now normally i would just say if you know it's into i'm not talking of this particular instance but just saying if i would know that drugs have been exchanged then i would definitely go and inform people who are concerned but this is more serious because you know it depends on because the community life should not be threatened in that case but if it's an isolated party depending on the situation i would probably just say or say that keep the music low and keep it down the other people and uh, if well after that yes you said 
one has to just practice some time go within because this how the world is one can't always change things around but especially in a community life of this kind definitely if it's another situation like in the outside world one definitely would just leave it at that because uh, it has a different goal altogether but in a collectivity yes because this collectivity is a special goal of its own kind so sometimes it's important it's a very difficult balance that how much and what so in the ashram there are instances where mother has asked people to go away because it was i'm not talking of this instance now one, one doesn't go away because of party but you know, there are instances where especially things like drugs or involvement in certain kinds of activities she has asked people even to leave because then the whole collective life gets in danger so it depends on so many factors if it is a frequent persistent thing and things which are becoming vulgar and you know then definitely it's worthwhile to take another extra step if necessary i would do that but to each one it would be different yes it's not a question of good or bad but it's a way nature operates if we don't express things outside while we nourish them inside then especially we try to exercise the mental control then this is a very common thing because you know it's like steam it has an outlet the other corollary is not true that therefore we must express every movement some people have derived this theory that therefore we must express if we are angry we must express anger now you know i did not say but its implications can be very dangerous we have to simultaneously work on other levels also so the first lesson learned is it's not enough only to stop a movement outside as you said it is going on inside so one has to also work inside for instance by calling peace by looking at the movement why this is coming up again and again and above all exposing that part to the grace rather than feeling guilty and bad because you know that makes it worse as i said earlier this is the strategy of these forces first they make us fall and then then they make us feel bad for the fall so this <laughs> this makes it worse so fine one fall is good enough we need not suffer the second one this is human nature one has to stand back neither justify nor go into guilt but look at oneself with thoroughness and sincerity that look i have this problem inside my nature has this tendency then go refer to her and say the entire movement it's much better to surrender in detail one kind of surrender mother i get angry every time help me and come away it's much better to say that mother this happened then this reaction arose inside me i could see it and then i get angry i offer it to you mother says the difference is that in the first one she knows everything but these parts these movements of nature are hidden inside so they resist the light but in the second case where we are conscious we have done our bit of the effort and then we offer it then we are kind of using the mind or whatever illumination we have in the mind or if you know through the psychic consciousness we can see the entire process and we are laying there the entire tract in front of the divine and then one has to be patient because uh, human nature doesn't change 
and most important as soon as possible to press more and more for the psychic change because it's true that while mind has to control till that has emerged and till there is a higher control but mental controls are always imperfect very very imperfect especially on certain tendencies in normal life there are certain checks and balances which are acceptable like you know people release their anger on their close ones so every time when you uh, when you know especially i experience this very often when people come that uh, others will say very nice about a person but you ask the closed one closed ones and they will speak that ask me and i'll tell you you know how ha- angry anyone is why because this is a normal way in normal ordinary human life these forces are released but in yoga because even that is not acceptable it becomes a problem because now what do you do there is no release or outlet so many times we still keep them inside whereas outwardly we put up a mask now that gets torn or some kind of mental control so we have to understand why this happens in inner life more frequently than in than in ordinary life sometimes people wonder because in ordinary life uh, there are moments allowed within the frame of the society you can get angry on your child for instance it's acceptable well it's my child have a right to be angry but in yoga all anger is detrimental you can be jealous with the, the person who is climbing up the ladder you can be ambitious it's acceptable but in yoga you have to work thoroughly on ambition and uh, jealousy you can have moments of lust with your wife or your partner but in yoga you have to overcome it so that's why uh, initially how does one do it one tries to exercise control by the mind because that's the only instrument one knows but this is bound to have its you know uh, repercussion one has to go through that process Yes. Is there an example sitting right in front of you? <laughs> one is forced to do it. One is compelled. I was compelled by my rising blood sugar which I kept saying that it's my sweetness and it's all right. but after some time all these justifications were torn the day i started going to physical education department within one week everything became normal so i realized that don't play around with the body more all kinds of justifications i gave how does it matter this body it's okay mother will take care all these stories of nishikant came into my mind everything i tried but finally going to pd helped so <laughs> well still one can do it each nature is unique but sometimes she compels us to do it ultimately it is true that if one has the bhakti the divine can bypass all things and do it directly it is true but it is such a rare instance that it's better not to you know speak about it and even then it's better if the aadhar is prepared so it's it's better